Hey everybody, start your day as I do every day with Boyer's Coffee. I start my day at home and then I often finish the day when the Rockies are in town at the ballpark. And I start the ball game with a mocha from Boyer's Coffee because they are the proud partner and have been for a number of years of the Colorado Rockies. And Deb, who runs the cafe on the club level, always brings me my mocha right around first pitch. And that gets me through the first part of the game. I love it. I love it. I love it. If you go to boyerscoffee.com, man, they got all kinds of great stuff, great product that you can have delivered free to your house. That's right. Uh, That's how I get it done with the K-Cups. They have a new flavor out, new caramel macchiato. It's uh, deliciously sweet and irresistible. And you can uh, find all of their top-selling brands right there at BoyersCoffee.com, Rocky Mountain Thunder, Hazelnut, uh, French Vanilla, Denver Blend. They're the original Rocky Mountain Roasters. They go back to 1965. So go to boyerscoffee.com do as I do have it delivered right to your front door or you can find it in your favorite grocery store as well it's boyerscoffee.com love my steel products tell you about them every week S-T-I-H-L go to steelusa.com or steeldealers.com and there's more than uh, 10,000 around the country so you have one in your neighborhood it's uh, again s-t-i-h-l and it's like christmas man if you go on their website and start shopping i love the battery powered products i have a garage full of them you can get blowers you can get trimmers chainsaws they all are terrific and help cleaning up your yard you're going to be the most popular person in your neighborhood because you're going to break it out and everybody's going to want to borrow what you have so go to steelusa.com or steeldealers.com and start shopping you're going to love it s-t-i-h-l this week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, part one of Drew's conversation with Thomas Harding of MLB.com, who has some thoughts on what Airman Marquez might need to do to get better. Plus, what are Airman and Buddy Black not agreeing on? Thomas tells us coming up. And Thomas and Drew recap the Rockies' first month of the season. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 148 on the old Drew Goodman podcast. Glad you're along, as always. We're into the season, man. We're, as we tape this, the Rockies are 13 and 10. Actually, taking a couple of days off. I'm taking a couple of days off. Went to uh, St. Louis to see uh, my middle son uh, play and got to hang out with him and uh, a couple teammates at a Cardinals game. I put this out on Twitter. The other day, doing a little intel, I said, on the Royals, because the Rockies are playing the Royals uh, in the not-too-distant future. But we got to catch an afternoon affair on Monday, the Cardinals and Royals at Bush Stadium. Now, as a broadcaster, I've been to Bush Stadium many, many times. It was the first time I got to sit in the stands, and it reminded me again I get a lot of reminders of this of why I love the game so much and you know how fortunate I feel to to do what I do and I'm not just saying that because it's the appropriate thing to say I mean that I feel that every day I really do Um, but it's also really cool 
to sit like many of you in the stands and watch a ball game from that perspective because I don't get to do that. You know, you're, you're sitting in the booth and you're talking, you know, almost nonstop for three and a half hours or so uh, about what's unfolding in front of you. So it was really cool to sit there and we were right behind the Royals dugout. We had, we had really good seats and... You know, Nolan taking the field, he's, you know, whatever it is, 60 feet, 75 feet away out on the field, getting to watch him and and just watching guys and their habits in between innings, which I don't generally get to do because I'm focused on or we got this promo coming back or I'm looking over some notes or checking something on on the computer, uh, you know, a story, a biography, that sort of thing. So I, I don't really watch in between innings. The, the first time I look at the field again is basically when we come back from commercial break and, and they're ready to play. So it's it's neat observing everything that's going on on the field and how players warm up and, and that sort of thing. And it was a it was a tight game, man. It was a one nothing game. Neither side did much offensively. I got to see one of the great catches I've witnessed in person, you know, maybe ever. Kinzinger, the the backup catcher to Yadi Molina, hits a ball basically over the center field wall for the Cardinals, and Michael A. Taylor goes over the wall and brings it back, and and that's a that's a big wall. I mean, you have to he got his spikes into the wall, and, and that helped propel him over the wall, and he brought it back. And as it's going over, I see him leap, and now I'm like, okay, he just jumped and climbed the wall, but he can't catch it. And I, my eyes immediately went to um, the base runner jogging around the bases, and then I realized, oh, my God, he caught the ball. It was incredible. And everybody around us was like, that's the best catch I've ever seen. So that was pretty cool to see. Ends up one nothing. Didn't get there in time to see the one run. That was a Paul Goldschmidt home run in the first. But again, pretty cool to um, you know just taking a ball game from a different perspective. And uh, Bush is always uh, a wonderful place to go because you know how passionate Cardinal fans are. It's great atmosphere, et cetera, et cetera. All right, a week and a half ago now on the Rockies' last road trip, they were in Detroit and Philadelphia, and the highlight of the Detroit deal was well the highlight is the Rockies took two of three excuse me but the highlight was Miguel Cabrera passing 3,000 hits achieving that unbelievable um, milestone it got me thinking and I mentioned this on air with Spilly the other day it got me thinking about 3,000 hits and Ichiro witnessing that and way back, you know, Craig Biggio and when he went five for five and getting 3,000 hits. We've talked about that. But it reminded me of one of the great Rockies clubhouse stories. And for those people that covered the Rockies during their World Series year of 2007, uh, reporters will remember this. After Biggio gets his 3,000th hit down in Houston against the Rockies. Shortly thereafter, Tulo, in talking to his teammates, had to say, well, I bet you I have 3,000 hits in my career. And, you know, probably got a bunch of sideways looks from his teammates. And I go, what are you talking about? Yeah, if you go all the way back and add up all the hits I got from Little League on through, you know, 
travel ball, high school, college, and now minor leagues and now the big leagues, I bet you I have 3,000 hits. Well, you can't challenge a major league clubhouse full of guys with time on their hands with something like that. So I don't remember who the ringleader was, but they started adding up hits for Tulowitzki from the time he played T-ball at like four years old. And they gave him like, we'll give you 40 hits in T-ball. And then they, you know, you can't document how many hits somebody had in Little League. So they, you know, give me, right, we'll give you 35 hits when you were six. We'll give you 28 hits when you were seven. And they went all, all the way up. And then in high school, they actually could document it, right? And, you know, they, they went to everything. Fall ball, travel ball, uh, you know, summer ball. And they would guesstimate on the number of hits unless there was documentation. Like in college, when he was at Long Beach State, you know, you could look up, and I think he had like 179 hits or something in his three years at Long Beach State. And the grand total after pro ball and the big leagues, it was like 1,700 and something hits. And the beautiful thing about it was in his locker, they put up a big, uh, at the top of his locker, I think it was like right below his nameplate, a big one, a big seven, a big like eight, and a big two, like 1,782 hits. Well, they changed it every day. Every day that he would get a hit, you'd go back in the clubhouse the next day and say, oh yeah, Tula was two for four last night against the Reds. And all of a sudden, it went from 1,782 to 1,784. It was the March to Tulowitzki getting 3,000 lifetime hits. I mean, and it was there, I think, the entire uh, second half of the season after the, you know, Biggio accomplishment. And it was hysterical. Uh, it, it really was. Um, I, I wish they had kept that going forward. I think that would have been great. You know, his years in Colorado and then, you know, eventually when he moved on to Toronto. But uh, that was a story I wanted to uh, share with you. All right. April's done. The Rockies at the conclusion of April were three games above 500. They went 12 and 9 in April. And if you go back to June of last year, June, July, August, September, and now April, five straight months where at the worst the Rockies were uh, 500. So heading in the right direction. And some of it I think people will look at from afar and go, well, it's a schedule. The Rockies didn't play a quote-unquote good schedule. You're going to hear later on in my interview with Thomas Harding, I analogize this to being a little bit different um, from football where, you know, if you have Alabama play, uh, you know, some directional school, they're not going to lose. They're just not. Well, baseball's different. I mean, you could play the, you know, the, the Dodgers could play the, you know, Baltimore Orioles, Orioles or the Cincinnati Reds, and they may lose, even though they're much better. The Rockies took care of business last weekend against Cincinnati, and when a team's down, you want to take advantage uh, of that. But it's, there's no guarantee in baseball, so I don't buy into a you know wholeheartedly. Well, they played a poor schedule. I do believe though that when a team is not playing well, you do have to take advantage of that because you know you're going to have your hands full when you play the elite rosters in the game when the Mets roll into town or you go to New York inside the division with the Dodgers certainly the Padres have 
an abundance of talent, as we know. The Giants are coming off, even though they changed their roster a little bit, they are coming off a 107-win season and got off to a good start. But listen, you can't take away from the fact that the Rockies were above 500 by three games in April and, um, and, and took advantage of Cincinnati being down and the schedule, you know, in the next at least week or so affords them an opportunity hopefully uh, to continue along that path so observations from april very quickly um the good well there was a lot of good uh, individual good cj crone as we tape this he's leading the league in in home runs he's leading the league in in rbis he's picked up where he left off really around august 1st of last year i mean he had a, a very good year overall but i mean he took off the final couple of months especially august when he was the national league player of the month so he had a great month of, of april chad cool who had chad cool being among the best rockies in the opening month of the season it's a good story man he's been the rockies best pitcher been tremendous Randall Gritchick, who at the start of spring training was in the Grapefruit League in Dunedin getting ready to play baseball for the Toronto Blue Jays. He had a great first month offensively and defensively. He's hit on the road. He's hit at home. He's made some great catches. Part of the good. You know what? I don't want to leave out a couple of guys. and It's always easy to forget these guys down in the bullpen because they usually only mention when things screw up. The Rockies have protected leads. They got off to a great start in the bullpen and and now the bullpen numbers are not good. However, in the games that they lead, you know, going to the seventh inning and need to protect, so far they have. And I think one of the biggest reasons has been the work of Tyler Kinley. He's been outstanding as a setup guy. And his that I call it his vertical slider because it doesn't really move much, much horizontally. It's been great. And he's throwing more strikes. Uh, so he's had an outstanding uh, start. And Daniel Bard. You know, Daniel Bard lost his closer spot a year ago. And he's been really good so far. So when the Rockies are ahead late, even though the overall bullpen numbers are not good right now, they've protected leads and uh, I, I give uh, you know some big attaboys to those two guys in particular, Kinley uh, and Bard. Connor Joe, obviously, we've talked a lot about Connor. Uh, he was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he, who doesn't love Connor Joe uh, and everything he's doing on the field? So what didn't go well? The bad. Well, I, I don't want to call it the bad, but there's some guys that you hope are going to hit more than they have so far. And not everybody's going to get off to a great start. We know Brendan Rodgers got off to an abysmal start. And he had the nice ball game to start May, single and a double, drove in four runs in his first couple of at-bats. In fact, Brendan's going to be all right. I've said that many times on this podcast. He's a really talented young player who has a reservoir of success that he can turn to in his brain and say, no, I've done it at this level, and I've done it out on the road. I'm not just a Coors Field creation, 12 of his 15 home runs out on the road. He'll be okay. Chris Bryant started fine. You know, he was getting hits. I know he hadn't hit any home runs, and then the back flared up, and as we speak today, he's on the injured list. Um, There are other guys that haven't gotten off to fabulous starts, so for the Rockets to be over 500, 
I think that is a real positive, a real positive. If I had one area of concern or one individual I'm concerned with, that naturally would be Herman Marcus because he was an all-star a year ago. He is your most talented starting pitcher, and the strikeout rate is down. He had a great first performance of the year. He shut down the Dodgers over seven innings in game two of the season. But since then, he has an ERA of nine as we tape this podcast. And in the second half last year, I mean, he was an all-star last year, and the second half he had an ERA over six. So now this is, you know, an extended period where he has struggled with fastball command and it's gotten hit around quite a bit this year. He's given up home runs, which is a little bit unusual for him. So I don't think it's unfair to say there's a little bit of concern. It's not, okay, he had a couple bad starts in a row and he's going to bounce back. He has all the talent in the world, and you know you keep your fingers crossed that he gets on, on a positive roll. But there's some concern because it's it's gone on now for a period of time. And, and I saw where at one point against Washington – when Daryl Scott came out, the pitching coach, and Daryl Scott puts his arm around Elias Diaz, and he puts his arm around Herman, and both guys kind of had their head down. The the body language was not good. I think Elias was frustrated for Herman, and, and you just got the feeling kind of reading the body language that Herman's at a loss. He does not understand, can't figure out why... Uh, you know, his stuff is getting hit the way it is, why the walk rate is up, the strikeout rate is down. And, you know, this is a you know young man who's trying his ass off and, and preparing for each start. And so there's a little bit of a concern there. I hope to, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks talk about, hey, you know, he's had back-to-back great starts, and, and we know he has the ability to do that. So those are a couple of notes on April uh, with the Rockies. Best moment from April, best moments, I'm going to give you two. They just jump to the top of my mind. I'll probably miss others for, for all of you out there. Uh, but Randall Gritchick's catch down in Texas the opening week of the season when he went over the wall and stole a three-run home run from Corey Seager. That stood out. And then it seems like every damn night, Connor Joe, in his first at-bat, hits a missile somewhere. So... That's like a series of moments, but that's what stands out for me um, in the month of April. So our interview of the week, brought to you as always by Ideal Home Loans, is a friend of mine by the name of Thomas Hardy. Now, a lot of you who are good Rockies fans follow Thomas on MLB.com, and if you don't, you should. Uh, He is a very good writer, and he writes interesting pieces beyond you know, just game stories. He's obviously going to cover the games, but he's going to write background stuff on players that populate the Rockies clubhouse currently or in the past or stories on minor leaguers. And we're going to talk about one in this uh, upcoming interview. He is a delight to be around. He's got a really consistent personality. He is uh, loved by everybody uh, on the media side who covers 
uh, the Rockies, and he's also adored, I think, by the players and, and Buddy, uh, the manager, because he just he's just a good human, man. He's just a good guy, and he's a talented guy. And uh, he's come on periodically on this show, and we have a good time uh, kicking it around. So we hit a number of subjects here, and uh, we even start in uh, his with his favorite team, which is not a baseball team. There's a little tease. Our Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week from MLB.com, Thomas Hardy. Tomas, um, off air, can you say that on a podcast, off air, you and I were chit-chatting about West Virginia politics where you grew up. We were chit-chatting about um, certain politicians being unsavory, and it got me to a place that I told you every once in a while with Spilly, and I think I do this with Huey once in a while, but it's more fun with with, with Spilly because of Spilly being the lunatic character that he is. You know, Huey and I are more like normal. That, that's fair, right? You know us all well. So so I, I, I said some of those politicians, or maybe many, are unsavory characters. And then I said, I'm challenging you to get unsavory into um, one of your pieces tomorrow. Can you get that done? It's possible. I mean, of course, when we're recording this, it was the day after um, Herman Marcus had an unsavory appearance there. I mean, that didn't taste very good at all to anybody. But, um, yeah, it's funny. Some of us writers will have that also. I mean, unsavory was one of the words when I first got involved in the business that I always wanted to use in a story. I think that um, there are words that I make it a point to get in, sometimes it's every two years, um, or maybe three years. Savoir faire, it's almost time for savoir faire to come back into my copy at some point. So if you read that, then you know that I've already challenged myself. But unsavory, shadowy, those are great words, aren't they? Yeah, the great, great words. Um, French phrases for 500, uh, the late Alec, um, I'm gonna. I want you to work a fate to complete in before the end of the week. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! That, that, that's a tough one because the, the art to doing this is not having them forced. No, but 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 I got. I just thought of one. I mean, but you had to use it last weekend. And the Rockies swept. And, and the Rockies swept the Reds, which was a fate to complete. Um. But was it really? I mean, you know, so I, I, I've got to think context uh, in certain things. Um, like, for example, that's a more of a late season word for many years in the National League West when the Dodgers were running away with it. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It's a, it, it, on, here on September 23rd, as the Dodgers have clinched their 400th. A division in a row. It was a fate. It's long been a fate accompli. Yeah, something like that. That would be fine. Um, that so yeah. That's the thing is that you have to kind of make sure that it's not forced. Like I've seen, I've seen writers play this game, mm-hmm. and I could read the story and know that they were playing this game. The idea of this is to. <laughs> You know, it, it, it is to really make it work in the sentence that you work it into, to really make it work. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not saying this because of your home <laughs> state being involved, and I do not know why this word just jumped into my um, lexicon for the day, but I'm going to have Spilly work in hillbilly 
into a, an upcoming broadcast. And you, if if you are at home and not at the ballpark, you will get a good chuckle out of that. I will get a good chuckle. You, you know, one of the high schools in West Virginia, man, that's M-A-N. It's not, it, it's not anything else but man high school. They were the man hillbillies. Why does that not? Why does that not shock me? <laughs> We've got some great nicknames: the Man Hill Billies and the Polka. That's P O C A, not P O L K, but the Polka Dots. And you're from Bluefield, right? Right, the Bluefield Beavers. Oh, I was. That's why I was going to ask you. What was the nickname of of your high school? Yeah, you could look in the lore of high school football. And there's plenty of reference to those Bluefield Beavers. Hey, before we get into the sport that you cover so well and have for so long, uh, people who are close to you realize what I'm about to say. But, you know, maybe some of your um, followers, your many followers on Twitter and and, um, people who follow you on MLB.com may not realize you are an enormous Pittsburgh Penguin fan. In fact, I would I, I don't think I'm wrong here. Correct me if I am. Certainly. That your favorite team as a fan of a, of a team is the Penguins above all else. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Um, my first team was the Steelers, and I stayed a fan of them. But as I got older and I thought maybe I'd be covering the National Football League, I kind of fell out of the fanship there. Never, I never departed from the Penguins, though. I mean, even I remember the years they asked won the Stanley Cup, um, the, the, their second cup. And the Eastern semifinal or the Eastern finals were between the uh, Devils and the Penguins. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> this is this is one where I may just have to forget I'm a reporter and just be at the at the Pepsi Center at the time and just pull for my Penguins. I mean, it's it's like last night, you know, I'm I'm sitting there writing my game story or I'm trying to. I'm really trying to craft this story on the difficulties that Herman Marquez is having, and really, there's a little bit of a disagreement between him and Bud Black about how to how how, how to attack things. But as I'm about to write, I take a few seconds to smile and celebrate when the Penguins scored in triple overtime to beat the Rangers in Game One. So yeah, the Penguins are my team. Yeah, I'd see. I I knew you were up very late last night. Not as late as I was. So I watched the. Obviously, I watched every minute of the Avs game. I was in St. Louis. I took uh, last night off, and I was, I was seeing uh, my middle son for a couple of days. And I we watched, you know, and I, you know I grew up in New York, so I was pulling for the Rangers there. So I was very disappointed with that outcome. But I knew that there was joy uh, emanating, uh, loud joy emanating from uh, your home in Broomfield. So uh, congrats, congrats on that one. Um, very quickly, because I'm going to stay in the realm of hockey, how good did the abs look last night? I'll tell you what. I And it's funny because ESPN did a live cut in, and I'll admit that as I'm covering the baseball game at Coors Field, I have my phone there watching uh, my Penguins, and I think they were going to overtime when the ESPN – well, maybe they're going to the third period. No, it was overtime. And ESPN did a live cut in. Blues get a, um, not Blues, I'm sorry, the Predators get a delay of game penalty early. And once that power play unit for the Avs was on the ice moving around and the crowd was going nuts, I'm like, the Predators aren't getting out of here with a close game. I mean, that that was one of the most impressive games that I saw. And I watched a lot of the games, a lot of the game ones. I thought the Toronto's win 
over Tampa Bay was the most impressive, but that one was incredible. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I just don't think that that the Predators have what it takes to pull an upset in the first round, anyhow. But um, I, I, I did think that was very impressive. It, it seemed like uh, the Predators had absolutely no chance from the first uh, two and a half minutes of the game. Uh, they they got blown out and and the Avs I mean five nothing in the first period my goodness I mean that, that's akin to I mean that reminded me of that Broncos Super Bowl against uh, well there were several of them back in the day but the one in Washington where they scored thirty five points in the second quarter and you're like oh my goodness it's hey crazy. that's right uh, I think one or two of the touchdowns went to Gary Clark guy I played football against growing up. And the fastest man I've ever seen in person where I had to do something against him. I don't have to say that. Yeah, and and Timmy, uh, uh, the running back, I, I just, I literally, why, why am I doing a blank? Because they would, they ran counter tray all day with uh, Tim, um, Timmy Smith. And I used to, I used to, when Timmy's career was just finished up with the Broncos, um, he he lived in Denver for a while, even after he left the Broncos, not, uh, not the Broncos, but he lived out here um, after his NFL career. And I used to play hoop with him all the time. And I ran into him recently at, out of nowhere. And I and I honestly, I wouldn't even have recognized him. And he, he came up and introduced himself. Good, good guy. Um, but anyhow, we are all over the map. Hockey, NFL from 35 years ago. Let's go back to the unsavory performance, unfortunately, for Herman. How much are you concerned when you look back on his month of April, save the great performance in, in Game 2 against the Dodgers of the season, and really his second half after the All-Star game, of which he was a participant? Um, last year, I thought he wore out at the end. This year, um it, it looks like, and from talking to him, from talking to Bud Black, it looks like that he's tried to reach another level and lost some of what he had. I do think he'll pull it back in. If you look at his history, he has some awful games and some awful stretches. Last April was the one that concerned me where he was walking people because he doesn't walk people. He does not walk people. So last April, I, 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 may, I may have been more concerned than I am now. I mean, something is going on with his fastball. He's trying to do too much with it. Um, and, but I do think that he'll get it back and he'll go on one of his runs. Um, the question that I will have with him, though, is can he do it over a six-month season? Because you see, even in his um, – as he became a star here, you still saw those blips that happened, and I know he was working on that part of it. But I think this time he reached for something and maybe overextended himself a bit, and he's going to have to come to some decisions on, do I really try to reach the next level with my four-seam fastball? Do I go back to, I'm going to live with my two-seamer and, um, and, and, and my slider and get people out the way I've gotten them out for six years? It's a little bit, as I, I framed it earlier, it's a little bit concerning. Uh, he's a hardworking guy. He's a bright guy. And he's got to be their number one. And I know that this year was a bit of a surprise that, that Kyle Freeland, who we know is very talented, and we know he's the hometown kid, started game one. But but the guy has to be Herman in that he has the best stuff on the staff and can lead a staff, uh, so they they really need him without question. No, no doubt in my mind, and no, no, definitely you're right about that. And you you see the talent level, and you think it's going to show up 
Um, I do wonder if this season with the shortened spring training, we're going to see a few guys struggle at different points. Um, the, the early part of the season, like for example, here, we see guys with back injuries, and I'm wondering if that is a product of the shortened spring training. Haven't really looked around the league to see which pitchers that are that are very good are struggling, but I do think that you'll see some unusual results early, and guys should get back to who they are. Now, Herman will have to get there. You know, he's going to have to find a way to control that fastball. If he doesn't, then this could be a real mess of the year. More with Thomas Hardy from MLB.com in a moment, but uh, first is for Ideal Home Loans. Brent Ivinson's team has been in business for more than 20 years in our neighborhood in the state of Colorado and also uh, down in Arizona as well over the last several years, and they've saved people a lot of money. Now, times have changed in terms of interest rates. They've gone up. And you're probably figuring, man, I, I want to take advantage of, of the housing market. Uh, my house is worth more than it's ever been. Uh, but on the other side, I have to buy something. It's not interesting to navigate. And so that's why it's really important to go give them a call at 303-867-7000. And they will help you navigate this most difficult real estate world. Any kind of question you may have, they're going to have an appropriate answer for you. It's why they have so many repeat customers through the years. It's why I have utilized them on a number of occasions as well. So give them a call, 303-867-7000. They're going to help you maximize the profit on your home and also in purchasing that new home. Or perhaps it's remodeling your current home. So again, give them a call, 303-867-7000, Ideal Home Loans. Now back to more with Thomas Harding, who covers the Rockies for MLB.com and has for years. What's been your takeaway? I, I kind of did a little summation of, of the month of April, the first month of the season, and, and a good month overall. Uh, anytime you have a winning month, uh, it's a good month. I know the schedule, if you will, has been... Uh, favorable, but what are your takeaways on the first roughly 30 days of the season? Well, I think that this is a team that um, their lineup is working together pretty well. I mean, you don't feel like if the if the lineup goes if the batting order goes below five, you don't feel like you've got a bunch of outs at the bottom of the order. And I think that's why they're the better team. Have they hit for power the way that they want to? Um, C.J. Crone certainly has, but really, they have a number of guys that can hit some home runs that haven't really gotten going yet, Chris Bryant being chief among them. Um, so they can put up some more runs, and I think they're going to have to. So I like that part of the team. I The pitching is strange, and this is something that I haven't really delved into on in my stories yet. I'm actually working on something with it, just like I spent some time working on a Herman story that appeared right after the, the horrible start against the Nationals. But if you look at the bullpen, when the game is close, tied or with a narrow lead, they do not blow it. When this team falls behind, the bullpen cannot hold them in a ball game. So you've got you, you you've got um, a pretty good ability to handle the lead and get it to the end of the game. But there, it it does seem like they're going to have to get a little bit more consistency out of the total group to be better. Starting rotation, we talked about Herman. I, I I think that this 
rotation generally pitches better at home than on the road, you would like to see some of the road performance improve with them. So it's it's a team that, let's face it, when you looked at um, some of the projections before the year, I want to get back to the projections, by the way. You looked at some of the projections, and you would have expected them to be, what, um, where the Reds are, 3-20 and 20 or whatever they are at this point. But I think that the team is – I always thought the team was a little bit better than advertised after they made their moves in spring training. Uh, but how, how well they're going to hold in in this division, I'm not sure. You you almost have to, and I know it's not football. I know, I, as I like to say, it's not Alabama playing Samford, okay, where there's no way Samford could beat Alabama. So when you look at Cincinnati, and, and to the Rockies' credit, they took care of business against a really struggling team. And Washington rolls into town, and Washington been playing better. They've been scoring runs, and as we tape this, you know, we, we – discuss the fact that they win in a blowout fashion uh, in game two. Then you go to Arizona. Arizona, all of a sudden, not great on paper. They lost 110 games. We know that. They started slow, but they've been playing better. It's not football, yet when you play those teams, you got to win more than you lose against them, and hopefully significantly so. That's that's fair, is it not? I think it's fair. It's hard, though, to put the schedule in the context because one of the teams that's struggling is the Texas Rangers, but you look at the money they spent, you look at the names on the back of the jerseys there, that's a better team than that. Um, I, I think that the Philadelphia Phillies, a very up-and-down team, I think we saw the best of the Philadelphia Phillies there, and sometimes you see the worst of them. I think they're going to settle in and be a pretty good team. I don't know how good Washington's going to be, but they show up here after winning the series at San Francisco. For me, because you're right, it's not football. Um, if Alabama plays Sanford 100 times, Sanford may win one you know, in a total miracle. But it's very easy to win two of three against a struggling team or even drop a series against a struggling team in baseball. So I'm not going to look at strength of schedule right now. Um, the, the Rockies haven't gotten into the division. I think that taking care of things outside of the division is very it's very smart because those division teams you play 18, 19 times, and you really need to build up as much as you can outside the division and then fight against the um, Los Angeleses and San Franciscos and San Diegos of the world. Who's been your most pleasant surprise? I would say part of it, um, I, I would say Chad Cool. Because I've watched the guy with the Pirates, and you saw some talent there, and you saw him go through a lot of learning, um, a, a, a lot of lessons trying to get to who he's he's more or less become here. Um, you, you saw him try to blow people away at the top of the zone with his fastball, throwing around 100 miles an hour, and it did him no good. You see him here, and it just looks like he has an idea of what he's doing, and he found a place that is letting him do what he wants to do. And I, I think that a lot of times change is good for a pitcher. I don't know if it'll be good for John Gray. We'll see how it happens. But a lot of times you have those coaches that have been around you your entire lives, and maybe sometimes they have a fixed opinion of you. Chad Cool comes here, fresh coaching staff, and, and they have ideas about Chad Cool, but also Chad Cool has ideas, and he feels free to bring them up, and that's what's happened in the beginning of the season. Yeah, for me, I, Thomas, I'm with you. Ch Chad Cool, um, and I don't want to be unfair in how I phrase this, 
because I didn't see a ton of him from afar. You you probably paid closer attention with your, you know, the proximity growing up to Pittsburgh and, and, and so on. But Chad Cool's better than I thought he was. And he's pitching a lot better, certainly, than he did in Pittsburgh. I know it's a small sample size, uh, but he's not afraid, which is one of my favorite terms when you look at an athlete on the big stage. And, and the stuff is there to back it up. It's not typical number five stuff. So uh, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's been the nicest, uh, and I put it in air quotes, surprise of, of the first weeks of the season from the Rockies' perspective. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that on Chad Cool. The other guy that I didn't know a lot about, even though he's been around a long time, is Jose Iglesias. And I did expect him to come in and do some good little things. I think he's a much better hitter um, than I expected him to be. He's collecting the hits. Um, could he walk a little bit more? Maybe so. But when you're getting hits, I don't care as long as you're getting on base. So that bottom of the order that I talked about earlier, it seems that Jose Iglesias has helped that part of the team. Yeah, and he's he's already thrown out a couple of four-hit games, and both of those were on the road. So there's that, which uh, you know, which which was uh, great to see. Really quickly, before we delve into some other things, the other guy that that's fitting in, I think, famously, and I think was a wonderful trade because it really helps fit a Rockies need, and that is more power in their lineup, uh, has been Randall Gritchick. He, he's got a lot of gamer to him. Uh, he's had clutch hits. He's hit the ball over the wall now a few times. We know he's made some great plays defensively. That's going to turn out, and it's not a shot at uh, a backhanded shot at all at Rymel Tapia, who I think fits better on like the 80s Cardinals. Uh, but uh, I think this is going to turn out to be an, an excellent trade. Yeah, I think it's going to be an excellent trade, and it did seem like, and I'm interested to, and I haven't watched Toronto that much, I'm interested to see exactly where Tapia will finally fit in with that team, but um, Randall Gritchick definitely fit in here because of the power, and now he, as we speak here, there are three home runs, two on the road and one at home. He didn't hit one for the beginning of the season, but those things tend to come in bunches. So uh, I, I do want to let it play out a little bit more and see how things um, happen. When he, you see if he does have that that thing that a lot of guys with power have, which is you know six, seven, eight home runs in a month or something like that, then it's really a great trade. Right now, it's a very good trade, and one of the things he does is play. Solid defense. He makes great catches, but I think when it comes to all the other things of being a outfielder, he is he, he is a very solid major league outfielder, and you needed that because you've got an outfield right now that at times um, when Chris Bryant is healthy and when and, and um, Charlie Blackman in the other corner may not be as rangy as you would want it to be. So you've got to have outfield options, and especially if you have a guy that's hitting some home runs and can move around the outfield, he's a real asset for this club. Listen next week for part two of Drew's conversation with Thomas Harding. Always good to kick it around with uh, Thomas Harding. And last night, since we started about hockey and his and his beloved Penguins, Watched the Avalanche in game one against Nashville score five goals in the first period. And, man, that was fun. I mean, they they are so talented. Uh, when they're on the power plates, they have moments where I'm like, I don't know if I've ever seen a better power play and how quickly they move the puck and how dangerous you know every guy is on that power play from McKinnon to Ranton to McCarr. It, it's just 
it's joyous stuff. And now you just want to see them maintain that focus and that toughness. And uh, as I tweeted out, one down, 15 to go. And hopefully, as you're listening to this, there, there's far less wins to go uh, to capture a cup. It's it's not going to be with that. It's not going to be seven to two every night. We know that. Um, there's there's going to be um, some hiccups along the way because there always is to win a Stanley Cup. I will say this real quick as we continue on the ass for a moment. I have the greatest respect and admiration for so many elements of hockey. The toughness, the code they have in the sport where, I mean, you know, unless you get decapitated, you just keep on playing, toothless, stitch me up, I'm not going to miss a shift. That that whole philosophy. And, And I love it. The one thing that bugs me a little bit when you especially when you get to the postseason is, you know, I was thinking of that game one with Nashville, Nashville in the second half of that hockey game, it, it, it almost appeared like their intent. And we've seen this before was to try to literally to try to injure, not just be physical in air quotes, but try to injure players. I have an issue with that. The, the, there's no place for that in athletics you know in hoops you can have a hard foul but it shouldn't be i'm trying to knock this guy out and the same thing in hockey but again good luck to the abs uh and we're going to pay uh, close attention to this uh, process over the coming weeks and we're going to do more on uh on the avalanche in their pursuit of their third stanley cup um i had an opportunity really quickly to visit with chris forbes who is the farm director of the Rockies. You know, we were talking about, uh, Thomas and I were talking about A.J. Lewis, who's a backup catcher to Drew Romo in Spokane. And this is a young man who was, you know, a really good player at Eastern Kentucky. And he his draft year was the was the COVID year where there was only five rounds. So he was, he was, he would have gotten drafted uh, ordinarily, but he signed because he had already graduated. He signed as an undrafted guy with the Rockies. And uh, he did nicely last year in Fresno. And now, as I said, he's playing behind Drew Romo. But he helps uh, with Drew Romo, according to Chris Forbes, in, in kind of coaching him up and thinking the game because he's a little bit older. Drew Romo came right out of high school. And Drew Romo is the future you know, Rockies catcher, everyday catcher, if all goes well. Uh, but he said this is such a high character uh, individual in AJ Lewis that you know if he's not a big leaguer, he's going to impact and hopefully it's the Rockies organization in some way, um, in some capacity because he's a baseball guy through and through. And as I mentioned, uh, he's working on his master's degree in analytics from Northwestern. So uh, you know, just a, just another name and kind of a, a human interest uh, rocky story that I wanted to share with you and embellish after talking to Chris Forbes about AJ Lewis and he just was singing his praises. A reminder, as always, to join uh, Patrick Lyons and the DNVR gang uh, Monday through Friday as they keep you. Uh, updated on everything Rockies throughout the year, but especially now that uh, we're immersed in the season and catch all of their uh, their shows, their podcasts, their written material on all of the teams, professional and college in the Rocky Mountain region. That will do it till next week. Rockies out on the road, Arizona and San Francisco, and uh, we'll bring you tidbits from the road in uh, next week's podcast. Stay safe. Stay well, everybody. Talk to you soon.